I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. My guest today is an extraordinary lady. She's making a huge impact on so many people's lives. Nikki Goulder is the co-founder of the charity Create. And I have to say, I find her razor-sharp vision, her passion and drive incredibly inspiring. So let's get listening. So, Nikki, you are the co-founder of the award-winning charity Create, which you co-founded in 2003. And uh, but before fo- focusing on the, this organisation, you were chief executive of Orchestra of St John's in London. And you've also been a volunteer and ambassador at Samaritans since 2002. That's right. Yes. Wow, gosh. And a volunteer and a volunteer counsellor, I should say, for Childline. Yeah. And it's interesting because these are all high-profile positions whereby, you know, you're at the cutting edge of creativity and administration and people management and, of course, people's well-being. And But I would like to know, what was your involvement in the arts growing up? I was always, as a child, um, doing... I mean, I, I, I don't consider myself to be an artist um, in terms of, you know, painter, but there were always kind of craft activities when I was a child. And I Um, I find that hard to believe because (laughs) here you are sitting in the most wonderful outfit and the bright colours and, you know, you look so artistic. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, I think think I'm creative. I think I'm very creative, but kind of in in my being. But I think, I mean, I love love photography. When I was a child, I went to the theatre a lot and we went to... um, museums and galleries and as a as a family the arts have always been very very important Mm. and when I was 16 I was asked to be part of the musical Joseph and I played the Elvis Presley character in that (laughs) and that was just so much fun it was very much out of my comfort zone when I was first asked to do it Mm. but it was just a really really fun it was fun to be part of a team making musical theatre it was really fun to learn lines and rehearse and be be part of something that was very collaborative Mm. and then the next year we did Godspell and I was asked to play the role of Jesus and there was an actor who I'd loved as a child in our local local rep theatre and he'd played that part so it was very special for me to be be in that role Mm. well I I was just going to say that it seems as though the teamwork is an important thread almost throughout you know all of the activities that you do bringing people together I think teamwork is is just so central to um, people feeling connected I guess in life and I think we're you know we're we're in a society now where we now have a, a minister for loneliness because so many people are feeling lonely and isolated and I think connecting people is very 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 important and I know for me certainly those those early experiences were absolutely fundamental in who I am and in in making Mm. me realize how wonderful it is to be part of something that's a collective being part of something that's very creative and it definitely had a huge impact on my confidence as a as a young person Mm, absolutely and you've often mentioned the distinction between listening to music as an example, and participating in music and how the two involve very different 
listening experiences. Can you, can you, can you talk a little about that? Yes, I mean, I had a, a very amazing experience when I was um, probably in my early 20s where I was sort of dragged off by a, a friend to a concert at the Barbican and classical music really wasn't something I was interested in. And I literally, I went to, it was an all Tchaikovsky programme, I guess an ideal programme for somebody who's not into classical music. And I literally walked out, walking three feet above the ground and just thought, why doesn't, why doesn't everybody know about this? And... At the time, I I, um, I was working in a company in London, and I just decided I wanted to work in an orchestra and to be a marketing person in an orchestra and tell everybody about this wonderful thing that I that I didn't really know about properly before that. I think then I ended up going back to university. Um, I hadn't done a degree at that point I went to university and I read marketing with arts up at Lancaster University mm. and I went to lots and lots of concerts and theatre and started going to opera and just participating in lots of arts as well mm. and really getting to see a much wider um, side of of the arts and creativity yeah and it's interesting that you know you you did involve yourself with so many different artistic disciplines in a way and and again that has been such an important part in your life I mean you went from uh, you know being chief executive of the of a classical orchestra um, to then of course co-founding create and and that is such an extraordinary thing that that you have provided for the country really you know what what really made you take the action I suppose to to almost I suppose I was going to say be in the comfort zone of an orchestra but it is very high pressure and you really don't know what's going to happen you know with funding and one thing or another and dealing with all different types of egos and you name it but you know to make that decision which I know you started in your dining room (laughs) that's right so when I was at the orchestra I was very passionate about taking music out to people who probably wouldn't get access to it and so I set up projects in prison in a homeless day centre we we set up a program working with young people who'd been excluded from school we were going to visit older people in day centres and working in schools so a really right wide range of projects but we were an orchestra and as a result the projects had to be music so I was going to people and saying would you like a music project And then in 2002, I had a vision for a charity that would work across the UK, across Mm -hmm. all of the creative arts, with anyone who um, was experiencing challenges in their life. Mm. And what that meant when I started Create, it meant that I could go, for example, to a young carers organisation and rather than when I was running the orchestra saying, would you like a music project? I was able then to say, what are the challenges that your young people are facing? Mm. What are you as an organisation trying to achieve for your young people? Yeah. And by listening to what they needed yeah. and by f- understanding what the young people wanted to do, what art forms they were interested in, were the particular themes that they wanted to explore, that meant that we could design projects very specifically for the people that we were 
going to be working with. Mm. And even though, as an example, we're now working with around 20 young carers services as just one of the, the many strands of work that we do, yeah. every project is different and every project is co-created with that service mm. and it's absolutely driven by what the the young people want to achieve or the older people or the prisoners so whoever yeah. we're, we're working with yeah. by listening to what they want and what they need that's how we design and deliver our programs mm. and it's so interesting that because so often we're trying to to make something fit into a situation and it and it doesn't always work or certain elements may but um, but it is interesting how that listening aspect, you know, what do the people need? And the demographic that create targets is absolutely huge. You know, it, it really is large. And and I feel that create is relevant to us all. You know what I mean? In that we can we can all benefit from that, whether you're one of the people leading a project or a participator of the, the project. I think that it's a win-win situation all around, surely. Totally. I mean, it was interesting because the Arts Council's new 10-year strategy came out yesterday and I read the strategy from front to back and their kind of flagship thing was, let's create. And, of course, I mean, as, a, a, as an organisation where I'm, our ambition is creativity for all, I just thought, absolutely, let's create. Mm. We, we all benefit from both making art but also um, you know visiting galleries or music or whatever and I think for me thinking about creativity it feels a lot more accessible than the word the arts which I think can put mm. people off and maybe suggest things that are kind of a bit more highfalutin but but I think everybody can look at the world in a different way maybe through a camera lens or can come together with there's a young carer that we've we've done a lot of work with and she did a filmmaking project and she was telling me that she now on a weekend she drags her sister out into the yard with her camera and they make films Brilliant. and um her mum actually i spoke to her mum last night and her mum was telling me that you know she's really interested in in exploring a career in film you yeah. know produce film producing or something like that i mm. think i think it's creativity is just so important in terms of allowing us to think outside the box yes absolutely. Um, and see people differently you know yes. I mean, you mentioned the mother you know talking about her, her daughter's experiences but the ripples that you know are created basically you know all of the positive things that um are then ignited to other people is 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 quite amazing really Absolutely. I mean, I, th I think the creative arts and, and being able to use the breadth of the, the creative arts um, for people to express themselves allows people to speak without using words. So, for example, we're running a project in um, the South London and Maudsley Mental Health Trust adolescent unit called Snowsfields. <laughs> and... I went to visit a project there. We do a number of residencies um, across the year where we work with young people. And I went to visit a project a few months ago. And one of the things that struck me when I went in there was that every single young person had really serious self-harming marks um, on their arms. And one of the young people had a ligature burn around her neck. Mm. And these, for me, were kind of outward expressions of the inward pain that they they felt Absolutely. and we we took a professional ceramicist in and um, the young people were working on ceramics all day and at the end of the day we invited them to take their 
pieces and put them on the table. And there was one young woman, she'd been working on this a bust all day. And when she turned it round, I was just utterly stunned. I thought if I needed one single piece of work in the 16 plus years since founding the charity, this would symbolise for me why we should give people a voice who feel they don't have one. Mm. So this bar, this clay bust, it has a kind of a furrowed brow and a tear. <laughs> and then where a mouth would be, there's just a huge cross. Oh my goodness, yes. And this young person so clearly was saying, I feel feel I don't have a voice, I feel no one's listening to me. Mm. This piece of um, of ceramic is... is, is saying to the world what I feel I can't say. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. That's, that's actually very moving and, and I think you need time to think about something like Absolutely. that. You know, and it's it's often just a really simple symbol, you know, a simple image in a way, mm. you know, a cross over a mouth is, is that, that says an awful mm. lot. The depth of that message is, is quite extraordinary. And do you think that there are generational differences as regards to how people participate in the arts, you know, perhaps through the medium of social media, you know, as opposed to to face to face? Because that that is an issue we have at the moment. You know, we're all looking down at gadgets and Mm. as as opposed to looking up or looking across, looking over, you know, it's either up or down. And and it, it does give a very different dimension to how we connect with each other. Yes, I mean, I think I'm always very, very nervous about making kind of generalisations, but I was thinking about just this point the other day, and I was thinking about I've, um, a year ago, as you know, Mary Poppins Returns came out. <laughs> and the, the basis of that is that Michael, who was a child in the first Mary Poppins, is now an adult, and he's just lost his wife, and he has three children. And actually, when I was watching it... Um, I was thinking about these three children who really have become young carers because they're running around the houses in chaos and um, you know, Dad's trying to do a job and he's an artist and he's trying to run a house. Mm. And what I thought was just so lovely about this, this film is that in the first film, he is a, a child and Mary Poppins just arrives in the, in, into their life and they have all these adventures. They go off to the, the man who laughs and they're floating and they're turning upside down and this is just part of his life and he just accepts it he's a child. Mm. And now he's the dad and the, the Mary Poppins comes back and he's telling the children to stop talking nonsense because they're all accepting, you know, they get into their bath and suddenly they're swimming with dolphins and all these <laughs> wonderful things that happen. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly little children, they do tend to, they don't need to sort of suspend, what's that expression? Suspending disbelief because yeah. <laughs> because they just accept things. Absolutely. And I think adults probably maybe more do need to suspend disbelief. Mm. But certainly I think on, you know... I, I, as I say, I'm always nervous about making generalisations. And what I what I do know is that as Create, when we're on our projects, if you've listened to people when you put project together, whether it's a child or an adult, and then you allow them, the, the real them, to come through mm. into the dance or the music or the the film or the sculpture, I think often people are nervous at the beginning, but actually, if you really care about people and you listen and you allow people to collaborate, whether they're children or adults, I think giving them the chance to express themselves in real time 
face to face, not through a, a, a gadget or Absolutely. a phone. I think that all of us naturally are creative and want to be creative. And mm. if you give people the opportunity, I think I think all of us, um, at, at whatever age, I mean, the oldest person I've worked with is 102 and the youngest with a babe in arms. And I think if you allow people to be creative and be self-expressive, people will, will, will grasp that opportunity. Absolutely. And I suppose in a way, that's why improvisation is so mm. important. I mean, we think of improvisation through a musical activity and it's quite interesting as as a professional player myself that 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 is often squashed when you start studying music and but that's the essence surely of, of being human you know is t- to allow that your thought process to be mm. flexible to be uh, you know to, to to really be elastic almost because that's what improvisation is about you know it's exploring the unknown and yeah. I, I, I think that's fascinating so in a way what create is doing and I think your mentality you know you, you come across as having this really razor sharp kind of focus but yet the the wonderful flexibility to listen to others and to think well what is it that we can really make happen that allows you to bloom you know, you to flower in a way. One of the things I think is really interesting about creativity and allowing people to be creative is actually it's a risk-taking thing. Mm. So every single day at Create is different, probably for most of the team, because we're working with different artists. Mm. Every project is unique and originally designed. You're working with a different group of participants. We're all trying to be very responsive. But that's quite risky, so you put together a new project Mm. but you don't really know how it's going to go because you're not quite sure who's going to be in the room and what they're going to want to do and I know that we've had um, we had a an experience a very experienced um, artist we were working in a a special school for children with autism Mm. and he has masses of experience we planned the project really carefully we took advice on what the children wanted and he wrote his plan and it was all organized and he went in on the first day and thought well, that's not going to work because he met this. He met the children in the project in mm. the room on the day, and just realised that actually he needed to be flexible to what they wanted to do and what their abilities enabled them to do. And so he basically, after that first workshop, he just kind of rethought it. And yeah. I think that's really important if you go in with very rigid idea about what you want mm. and you're not prepared to be flexible or adaptive Mm. that's never going to work and I suppose you know for for many of the team leaders they're they're in a situation where the 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 people that they're working with there has to be that time for trust to be built Mm. really you know I mean I'm very much used to a situation whereby you may never have met a conductor before you're playing a brand new piece of music you're (laughs) you've never been in a particular concert hall before or something like that but you have no time to build up trust, you know, to build mm. up a, a, a relationship, to know the person. But yet you have to have that flexibility and, I suppose, respect for each other's um, awareness of the music and of the piece and their ideas and in a very short time, you know, come together mm. as a team. But I think in this situation, you know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite different. There has to be the time to build the trust. I think that's a really important 
point and one of the reasons why we try to develop long-term relationships obviously it's always subject to funding but that's always our our kind of dream is and our plan is to build long-term relationships both with the partner organization whether that's a prison or a older people's day center or a special school and then to have enough space within the project to build trust with the participants I always remember going to a um, a special school in Kent and we were designing the project with the um, the lead special um, arts teacher there and she she kept saying to me I just don't understand how you think you're going to be able to keep our young people engaged for whole days because I think they have kind of little bite-sized chunks of of lessons and I really listened to her concerns and I tried to um, kind of allay her anxiety and explain how we've worked before but what was so lovely for me was we ran this project and at the end of the project two wonderful things happened number one she said to me come back to our school whenever you want Nikki and just do whatever you want with our children because I mean it wasn't me it was our artist but you know what I mean because we'd built that trust Mm. and then one of the children who was meant to be leaving the school said can I come back next year in the hope that I can do another project with Create and he actually delayed his leaving the school for a year and we then worked with him a year later as well it's amazing and I just thought it was just such a beautiful thing but it just shows your point about trust is so so important yeah that's that's really interesting I remember uh, many years ago when I used to visit the um, what is now called the Royal Conservatoire of Music and Drama in Glasgow and uh, as a young musician and I had to to go there to give master classes two days a term and first of all it was the first time that the students had ever uh, done solo percussion work so that was a, a, a new step for them but also what was so interesting was that the two percussion teachers there um, and this was done out with if the conservatoires remit and or anything like that it was not part of the, the students course or anything and they basically uh, took the percussion players out into schools for the deaf schools for the blind into um uh, elderly people's homes, you know, residential homes and, and all sorts of places, prisons and so on. And so many of those young folk had not realised how much they enjoyed that experience of being with people that they would never have been with, and, you know, in, in their normal daily lives and how it brought out so much of them, how they had to think about how they were communicating with someone, how they um, they interacted with people, um, the level of that interaction, their listening skills, their patience. And it wasn't just all about being a percussion player or playing a piece of music in a way that was almost secondary, you know. And many of those students, surprisingly, um, or surprising to them, went on to do work, you know, in in organisations such as Create. And I find that really, really fascinating because they could have left the institution, obviously as great percussion players and as wonderful musicians and, um, you know, good jobs and all of that kind of thing. But this was an aspect of their, their overall humanity, you know, their overall being, as it were, that I suppose made them think, well, who am I and what am I and what does it mean 
to do what I do and that connection, you know, that it isn't all about standing up in a nice concert hall and playing wonderful music. So I, I found that really interesting and I suppose mm-hmm. that's where I'm coming from, um, you know, with with this line of thought. Yes, I mean, definitely for our artists, I mean, they're, they're obviously all individuals, but mm. many of our artists tell us that by doing the type of work they do with us and they maybe go and work in a prison and they're helping prisoners to work collaboratively to create original stories for their children for example or they go and work um, as a dancer in a day centre for older people and help to get people connecting and being active Mm. they often tell us that that really feeds into their own professional practice that when they're then making their own artwork that Mm. by being collaborative I mean I guess for some artists their work is very collaborative if you're an actor for example or a dancer but maybe if you're a visual artist or a writer that can be quite a solo activity Mm. and I know that um, for for many artists um, doing their solo professional practice and then coming and working very collaboratively I think they're two sides of many of our artists that are just incredibly incredibly important mm, mm. I mean do you think that you know having worked um, as a Samaritan and with Childline I mean that those are high profile organisations and, and we know that I suppose uh, you know listening to a person's situation and, and their story and their journey it, you know that that's a, a, a massive responsibility and to then connect with that but do you feel that all of that experience and your experience in in um, forming create has made you a better listener I mean absolutely I mean I think I think create is completely as an organization based on listening as a as a team listening to our participants listening to our community partners our artists I mean it absolutely is about listening mm. as a Samaritan I mean I always remember one one funny story with Samaritans was um, one time somebody put on a lovely concert for the Samaritans and I had agreed to go and shake a bucket at the end (laughs) and I woke up that morning and I literally had no voice at all completely no voice but it was fine I mean I didn't feel great but I still went along and I just went to the concert and then at the end I was shaking a bucket and of course, not everyone who fundraises for charities actually, vol- you know, works for the charity. Mm-hmm. So some lovely person sort of said to me, "Oh, are you a Samaritan, or are you just collecting for Samaritans?" And I sort of mouthed because I couldn't, yeah. I had no voice. <laughs> I mouthed, "Oh, I am a Samaritan." Um, and she said, "Oh, you wouldn't be much good t- tonight, would you?" And I, and then I mouthed back to her, "Well, we're a listening service." <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and I thought. It was just a really funny moment. But I did think, I mean, as a Samaritan and and as a childline counsellor, I mean, it's such a privilege to do those roles. And Mm. I've always said about about my role doing that, um, I hope that that my callers get as much out of it as I do because I think I've learnt so much about myself. I think it puts your own life into context. Mm. I've learnt so much about the world. I mean, it's... An incredible privilege when somebody picks up the phone, or we also do texting and an emailing service and a face-to-face service at the Samaritans. But somebody opens up their their life to you, and you learn about them. You give them your hundred percent attention. I remember when I was training, we were told that one of the most important things as a Samaritan is that you listen 
absolutely 100%. It doesn't matter if there's a siren going on outside or if something's going on because you know there are a number of you on shift at the same time, that you are absolutely focused on that caller 100%. Mm. And that's definitely helped me to, to listen. And, you know, I think all of us, when we're in situations, we're desperately thinking about the next thing we're going to say. Absolutely. And trying to calm and quieten that voice that's going on on our own head and really listening mm. properly to what the person's saying so mm. that when you respond you're ref- you're reflecting back not on what you're thinking but on what they've just told you yeah. that for me is a very very important thing and I think as Samaritan I mean I, I would just I feel so privileged that people will talk to me and feel that, that you know and, and to our service that they feel that you know there is a service there that absolutely cares and is there wanting to support people who need to talk about whatever's going on in their life that's so interesting nikki because um in your mind what is the difference between being listened to and being heard i think that often we pay lip service to listening to other people Mm. and for me what's really crucial is that we truly hear what someone's saying and I think there are so many I mean it's interesting when you're for example on the end of a phone whether it's a Samaritan or to friends or 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 to clients because all you can go on is is the voice you miss all those wonderful visual cues that that we have when we're having a face-to-face conversation like you and I are now absolutely and there are so many things that you hear through watching somebody Mm. and seeing how they respond and seeing if they're smiling or frowning or and for me when somebody is heard you are listening maybe to what they're saying and maybe the things that they are not saying but are wanting to say yeah so I suppose there's a lot of context isn't there about what people feel they can say to you and what else is going on in their head which maybe you need to be aware of I suppose ask the right questions back to make sure that you're understanding fully what someone's trying to tell you mm, that's that's really interesting in terms of create we tend to go to work with our participants in places where they feel comfortable and safe mm. so we don't have a create center I mean a we're a national charity mm-hmm. um, but we want to go, for example, to the place where young carers naturally go. And so we have to be, I mean, you were talking a minute ago about the concert hall and you arrive and it's a new space and mm. there's lots of things to take on board. And I think we want to work with our participants in places where they feel um, at, sort of at home. But we also push the boundaries and so we take them out on trips and we give them lots of new experiences. But I think because we're going to, to them in a way... We have to be very flexible as a as a charity around what's there, where it is, other things that might be going on. Mm. But ideally, I think what you want is for people to be able to focus, to be able to hear well, to see well, as you say, not to have lots of different distractions. And I think for some people that's more important than others. So, for example, when we visit schools for children who have autism, mm. often they've they've done lots of things to reduce the sensory overload for 
autistic t- children, yes. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the environment is really important. And I suppose when we think about if people are trying to think about creating an environment that really enhances well-being, mm. you might have sort of soft lighting and maybe there's some sort of, might not be music, but it might be nature sounds playing or whatever. I mean, I think people do different things, don't they, to create. Or in, in this situation we're in now, beautiful pa- cake <laughs> plate of cake there that make you just feel like you're being you know it's, it's about a welcome isn't it it's about hospitality and mm. I think that's what we try and create that for all of all of our participants who come to projects we try and create a sense of welcome and hospitality absolutely yeah um how do you think that uh your experiences through create has influenced other parts of your life I suppose for me create is absolutely my calling and um it it, i suppose you know i've said loads of times to to people over over the last sort of nearly 17 years you know it's what kind of gets me out of bed in the morning but whenever you say the word you smile (laughs) yeah that's for sure you know you can just see it just runs through your veins you know it, it is the core of you yeah i mean i think i'm just i'm so passionate about giving people who often experiencing massive challenges in their lives Mm. a chance to do something kind of wonderful and magical to meet new people to have experiences I mean our our aim with create is to empower people and to enhance their well-being and I think running create has given me a chance to meet so many incredible people over the years and so many people you wouldn't imagine you'd meet. I mean, I remember once saying to, to a friend, um, I'd been to a prison project, and I said, I said, oh, I feel, I feel really comfortable in a prison setting. And they said, I think that's a really worrying sign, Nikki. <laughs> but I think what I mean by that is that it's for me, it's just a huge privilege. You go into a prison, you work with a group of participants there, mm. and one of our projects is about connecting them with their children through writing, recording, illustrating, and then setting to music original stories. Mm. And you get to hear such incredible stories about their children and their lives. And that really makes you think about your own life. And I think I'm just a, a real people person. I'm very, I'm very nosy, so I love knowing <laughs> about people. I love hearing about people and hearing about people's experiences and people's stories. Mm. And I guess, I mean, that, that project, Inside Stories, it's called, mm. um, we recently got a, an email from um, one of the families and the, the, the mum wrote and, and said to us that the, the, the prisoner um, had never been able to get a job he'd um had learning disabilities he'd really struggled with education and he he hadn't really engaged with education and she was just absolutely blown away when he told her on the phone one day that he was working on our project and creating this story for Mm. um for for their child and for somebody who had quite low levels of literacy and didn't like engaging with education she just couldn't believe he was on the project and then the pro- the project ends with this just wonderful um, moment where the families come into the prison and the dads read the stories and play the music and there was this this man who had hadn't had a job and had really not engaged with education playing and 
participating in this story reading to his child of this story he'd written and she said she just couldn't she was just overcome with emotion and how much it meant to her and how much it meant to their daughter Mm. that he had created now I don't see how anyone could have that experience and not be changed as a person and I'm constantly changed as a person by having opportunities to experience things like that absolutely that's that's an extraordinary story in a way and I mean, you've, you've, you're a national treasure, really, because you've, you've, <laughs> oh, you've Evelyn, truly just you. made such a difference to, to so many people. And what's the best piece of, of, of advice you've ever been given, do you think? I think I always go back to, to what my father told me when I was a child. And my father really believed that you should treat everybody absolutely the same. And I think that's been completely fundamental and I I think you have to be careful because when you say you treat everyone the same that can come across the wrong way because I think you should treat everybody as an individual Mm. but but he always said whoever whoever you meet you should always treat them with the same level of respect and Mm. um, and I think that's probably where my my real passion for people from so many different places has has come Mm. and I guess that completely underpins what we do what we do at create we we want to meet lots of people we want to hear their stories we want to give them all the same chance to to have kind of a life-changing experience I suppose yeah that's a wonderful piece of advice I think it's relevant to all of us in a way you know Um, I have a fun question to end with Nikki (laughs) and then we can have some cake but if you could choose five sounds to be on a desert island with what would they be and why (laughs) five sounds five sounds wow Mm. well I love birdsong lovely so I guess that would be one of them um I've always, I mean, I know I'm talking to an international percussionist, but <laughs> I've always loved percussion. So whenever I go to orchestras, I always sit there. And I, when I go on to, when I go to a concert and I see this huge bank of percussion, it's just the most brilliant thing. So, I mean, I love percussion sounds, although I have to say I have the worst sense of beat myself. Um, I absolutely love fresh coffee so i guess grinding Ooh. coffee that would be a, a great lovely. sound yes um gosh you're really challenging me oh i like this them. combination though <laughs> no you're doing really well <laughs> no i put you on the spot um, so don't worry about it <laughs> sounds do i like i love the sound of laughter oh that, yes that has to be brilliant yep um and I guess when you go to to hear a piece of music and that moment where the first the conductor kind of lifts his baton or her baton and then the orchestra starts Ah. just that moment where you think I wonder what I'm going to hear it might be a piece you know and you're waiting for that wonderful moment of the piece beginning that you love or it's a piece you haven't heard before. Yes, and so that, almost the sound of participation. Yeah, that moment added. of wonder. And yes. sort of the silence as well, I guess, between pieces. Mm. Now, isn't it the worst thing when you go to a concert and a piece ends and you're just waiting for that beautiful moment of silence and somebody jumps in to applaud really quickly <laughs> and break that moment of silence? <laughs> 
Well, Nikki, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I'm going to be on that desert island with you because I like your combination. And therefore, as you like percussion, you can have two pieces of cake. There we go. Thank Thank you, you, Nikki. Thank you. Let's have some tea and cake. I'd like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast.